politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast. Daniel Horowitz, your host, back in the house here at Blaze Media on this fine Thursday, February 25th, where we now have U.S. government diplomats literally taking it in the rear for COVID. Come on, folks. Look, I'm pretty ticked off today and pretty fired up. We're going to have a special guest on today. But you got to laugh. I'm sure some of you have seen this story from the New York Post that China had their guys give anal swabs, COVID swabs, to U.S. diplomats. If that ain't a metaphor, I don't know what is. And they said it was a mistake. (laughs) Well, you know... They've been foreign agents. All of our government have been nothing but foreign agents, treasonous rats for other countries. And really, it's emblematic of what we're up against. We have a government of, by, and for foreign interests, criminals. Up is down, down is up, inside is out, out is in. We literally have the social compact Flipped upside down. Whatever a government was created to do, they don't do. What's antithetical to what a government should do? That's exactly what they do. Think about that for a moment. And now, think about how we have a government bringing in illegal aliens during a pandemic while shutting us down. We have a government that is letting out criminals left and right and locking up Trump supporters as political prisoners. We're going to talk with Julie Kelly of American Greatness about what really went on at the Capitol on January 6th and what they're, what they're doing, which is shocking to so many people, what they're charging them with. Looking at people's phone calls and conversations and saying, hey, you didn't like Democrats, <clears throat> you don't like liberals. You're a threat to the country, so you're going to be held without bail. Oh, for public trespassing on public property, that it's so clear they were let in to the point that 30 Capitol Hill officers are under investigation. A couple others were downright fired. So we're going to get to that later, but I first want to set the table so you understand that their drive to lock up Trump supporters is not born out of some sort of fear of white supremacism or some sort of concern of insurrection. It is coming from a sadistic two-tier justice system, which is really a way of transforming America into a communist hellhole. But first, a word from our sponsor today. After you listen to today's show, (laughs) you are insane for not protecting yourself. You need a gun, you need ammo, which is very expensive, but you need a proper holster. If you're looking for the perfect accessory to go with that perfect firearm and get an American-made holster that fits perfectly, my friends at We The People Holsters have you covered starting at just $40, which is really a very good price. They give you a custom-molded fit for whatever firearm you have, left-handed, right-handed, inside the waist, outside the waist. They're all adjustable. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash CR will give you something more. It will give you $10 off with promo code CR. So that, that could bring it down to as low as 30 bucks for an um, American-made holster. They also have tactical belts and other accessories you might want to take a look at. They have cool um, T-shirts and other apparel there as well. Uh, very patriotic stuff. So again... Um, we the people holsters.com slash CR, then put an offer code CR to get your $10 off. And also every holster and gun belt come with a lifetime guarantee. We the people holsters.com slash CR. So fellow Americans, <clears throat> I want to present to you several juxtapositions to demonstrate how evil and sadistic our own government is. 
And why as we strategize to, to see how to deal with what they're doing to us, I just want you to know why I believe what I do morally. Why morally I believe we are light years beyond the point in time where according to natural law as spelled out in our declaration, we have a right and an obligation to throw off this tyrannical government. I want you to see why they're so evil. I just got a call today from the mayor of Uvalde, Texas. So it's in South Central Texas, about 60 miles from the border in Valverde County. His name is Don McLaughlin. I had him on the show about two years ago during the first border crisis. Well, we have another border crisis. And it's not that he told me something today I didn't know what was going on. I knew it was happening. We're now at crisis levels again, even though no one's talking about it. But he made the following point. They're dumping off illegal aliens. So rather than turning them around, they're dumping them off in different cities. And he's 60 miles from the border, so he's having illegals dumped off in his city in parking lots. And he said, if you think about this, it's not just COVID, where you know people have lost their jobs and everyone's feeling the pain. Or, you know, if you're into COVID itself and you think that's the biggest thing, you're suffering from that. But in addition, those of us who don't live in Texas forget, they just went through two weeks worth of water shortages, power shortages, supply shortages. People are really hurting. We have scarce resources. All the NGOs that would deal with illegal aliens are scrapped with COVID and with the weather issues there and the fallout from that. And yet still our government will look us in the eye and say, you American cities in Texas must pay for and logistically take care of illegal aliens. I want you to think about the profundity of that offense committed against the social compact, the social contract, the underpinnings of a just government by the consent of the people who created it. And he said they have no problem, no COVID testing. They don't, because he asked them about it. They don't have the resources. They drop them off. And believe me, if, they, if they're not wearing a mask, it's not like they're going to be turned around. This is sadistic. He also says, remember, these illegal aliens are saturated with the, the worst child molesters. We, we did a whole series on that. Drunk drivers, rapists, murderers. They're not all that. I'm not saying they're all like that. But it is in the, if you look at the ICE removal numbers and the crimes committed, it's tens of thousands of them. Guess who's trying to come back? So I said to him, I was like, you know, because he was explaining that they have bailouts now, high-speed chases where the cartels are sending people in, high-valued cargo, and just running them in. And they have these chases and bailouts in um, in southern Texas now, just like they did during the border crisis. This is border crisis 2.0. And I said to him, I, I said, why why do they have to try to sneak in? Uh, well, you know, aren't, aren't we letting them in through the front door? And then he told me the obvious answer. I should have remembered this. He said, no, Daniel, these are the people with the criminal records that are deported. So they're using this. Again, same thing we talked about two years ago, while our agents are tied down, serving as the world's babysitting agency, that is a ploy, a proactive, premeditated plan from the smugglers and the cartels to get in their drugs, previously deported illegals, gang members, you name it. High-valued um, packages. That's what we're dealing with. You have people without jobs in America, and they're bringing them in. I, I, I don't think you could conjure up a worse violation of the social compact than that. What else have we learned under COVID? We learned that a government can do anything to you as long as it's under the guise of alleviating the potential burden on, on hospitals. So... We could lock you down, we could abuse you, we could mask you, we could take away your, your rights because we have to protect the hospitals, regardless of any 
evidence that, that works, and we can do that indefinitely as long as we want. And by the way, we have a lot of, there's a lot of other COVID news. There are some good signs that we're, the, the virus is, fi- the vaccine is finally breaking through, that the cronyism behind the vaccine is running up against the tyranny because the two are now working against each other because the tyranny is creating people to say, look, it's causing people to say, look, what's the point of me getting a vaccine if we're not going to have freedom? So that's an interesting story that's developing. There's a lot more news in the state legislatures, mask bills, and we're going to talk about this next week. I am going to be out um, tomorrow, so unfortunately we will be dark till till Monday. Um, but I did want you to know there is a lot of news on that front. But back to our point here. We were told that COVID is the most important thing in the history of the world. It violates every single rule of life, of science, of law, of constitution. What McLaughlin told me, the mayor, is that Del Rio, so Del Rio is the border, Uvalde is 60 miles north, Del Rio hospitals are full of illegal aliens, whether it's COVID, non-COVID, other stuff. So again, you could have a curfew and lock down Americans and, and criminalize our breathing under the guise of alleviating the burden on the hospitals, but you could directly bring in illegal aliens to use our hospitals and you can't turn them back. We can't turn them back. How could we do that? They have a right to come here but you don't have a right to breathe as an American. Okay? That is perverse thought number one. Perverse thought number two. While Trump supporters are being held without bail for trespassing, something that's not really trespassing, the worst murderers are being let out, and we are paying for it. And this is being done by Republicans in the reddest states, just like in the blue states, by Democrats. Those of you who have heard me for six years warning that we are being lied to about this over-incarceration, that we have an under-incarceration problem, that anyone with a brain knows that obviously you could audit the one and a half million people incarcerated in the country, and I'm sure you could find a few that maybe could be let out, But for every one that could be let out, there's 500 career violent criminals that need to be incarcerated who aren't. And rather than going after those and toughening the loopholes in our system, they're breaking open our system and we're going to pay for it. And that's why not just in California or New York, but in states like Oklahoma, Tulsa and Oklahoma City are seeing murder rise. They're seeing homelessness and theft rampant now in Oklahoma, just like in San Francisco. Because all these vermin Republicans, whenever we have an issue of our time, just like with COVID, the issue of our time, the most radical thing ever, it's not like the Republicans agree to something a little bit more sensible of the left. No, they take the most radical things of the left and they agree with them. Many of you have probably seen this story, but you're not going to get the proper take on it and the proper information because I wrote about what caused this story at the time it happened in November 2019. So you could better appreciate the perspective. So a lot of you have seen this story of Lawrence Paul Anderson. This is a guy who was accused of, last week, killing his neighbor, Andrea Lynn Blankenship. I mentioned this yesterday. 41-year-old woman. And by the way, she happens to be white and the assailant happens to be black. I guess that's more white privilege for you. Get to get killed by a black assailant. Um, Accused of killing his neighbor... He cut her, allegedly cut her heart out, cooked it with potatoes at his uncle's house where he was staying, and then went on a killing spree and killed his uncle, stabbed the aunt, but she survived, and then killed the the couple's four-year-old granddaughter. So killed three people, injured one, cut out a woman's heart, and cooked it with potatoes. 
Now, as soon as I saw that story, I was like, wait a minute. A guy like that was either a career violent criminal that was let out. I I was like, I got I, I said to a couple of my friends that sent it to me, I said, you got to find the guy's criminal history for me. I said, or he's criminally insane and he wasn't locked up. And, and both are, are just as bad. Well, it turns out, let me bring you back in time a little bit. I wrote about this at the time. On November 4th, 2020, we had the largest jailbreak in American history, the largest mass prison break, prison release. It wasn't done in New York. It wasn't done in Baltimore. It wasn't done in San Francisco. It was done in Oklahoma by Governor Kevin Stitt. He commuted the sentences of 527 criminals. He bragged about it being the largest thing ever. He, he said, we need second chances. He said to a cheering crowd of all these low-level offenders. And again, this is part of what is going on, the trend that is going on in every Republican state. It's not just Kevin Stitt. It's all of them, almost all of them. That they believe that with rising crime, the more they let people out of jail and the more crime goes up, the more they need to let people out of jail. Now, to be fair, it didn't start with him, but he didn't have to do it this way. There was State Question 780. It was a ballot initiative in 2016. What happened was the people were brainwashed. The legislature, three to one, four to one Republican majorities, they put it on the ballot. It should have never gone onto the ballot. And proponents spent $4 million. There was no money spent in opposition. It was a one-sided fight. We don't have men on the field. To do what basically San Francisco did, which is just like Prop 47 in California, so this was the same thing. State Question 780, to downgrade certain drug crimes and theft crimes. And the and it sounded really great to the public. You know, yeah, low-level drug and theft charges. Do we really need to be locking people up forever for low-level drug and theft charges? Right? It sounded really good. But what I warned about at the time in 2016 and reiterated when the governor implemented it, but again, he didn't have to implement. It's not like he had a broad discretion. It was the you know, he could have denied the parole. You look into the cases. And I'm going to get back to this look into the case thing in a minute. But anyway, he um, he looked into uh, cases without really looking into them and categorically let out 527 people on November 4th and then several hundred people in the ensuing few months. One of them was none other than Lawrence Paul Anderson. Now, what I noted at the time, and you guys that are veteran listeners, but we have a lot of new listeners because thank, I'm really thankful to you guys for making this show grow. So those of you who followed me since COVID and you haven't heard me talk about criminal justice a lot, what you need to understand is that nobody is locked up for low-level drug charges and theft charges at all anymore, much less for 20, 30 years. The people who are, are the people that have a case file of not just second chances, but five, six, seven offenses, and they have a profile of a very violent criminal, so often the last thing they're up for is um, a drug charge, a theft charge, and then they violated their parole, so they were reincarcerated for the original terrible crimes they committed. But what the system does is they 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 look at a file with tunnel vision and they say, ah, what's the guy in there? A parole violation? Are you kidding me? He's serving 20 years for a parole violation? Get him out of there. With no effort to understand, the guy is basically like the biggest gangster in the city responsible for all the murder. And, you know, they already gave him a leniency and then he violated the parole. So retroactively, they're just applying what he should have always gotten. Which, which is commensurate to the threat level of that guy. At the time, Oklahoma District Attorneys Association President Jason Hicks, he's a county prosecutor, I should get him on the show, 
he said, quote, a five-year sentence or even up to a 10-year sentence, those folks are serving a very, very small amount of time in DOC on a nonviolent crime. In fact, you're going to serve roughly 90 days on a 10-year or less nonviolent crime, and if you haven't done anything else, you're getting an ankle bracelet and getting sent back home. Right? So the whole thing was a lie. If you have 20 years, there's a reason for it. Well, Lawrence Paul Anderson was serving a 20-year sentence. Lawrence Paul Anderson was released on January 18th, 2020. He was paroled after just three years. He had been sentenced in 2017 to 20 years in prison for a probation violation on a drug case. So that, that didn't sound like a big deal, right? He commuted it to less than nine years and then released him after serving a little more than three years. It turns out that in 2006, he attacked his girlfriend with a gun. In 2016, he attacked someone else with a gun. In 2017, he ca was caught with felony possession of a firearm during commission of a felony. Um, he was charged with attacking a motor vehicle at some point. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff I haven't even seen. Remember what I always talked about with gun and drug offenses. Mixed with other things, it gives the profile of a guy who is going to be a murderer. Also, he even said himself he was on medication for bipolar, and that's always ignored. And he was let out. So, you know, I'm not even bothered by if you let out a bunch of people and one guy goes on to murder, stuff happens. But that's not the story here. There's a, there, there's a, a method to this. The people they're letting out have the profile of this guy. Because if they didn't, it's not that every guy who's ever busted for drugs or even firearms is necessarily going to be this guy. But it's that the ones that were sentenced to long sentences in a system that's already lenient by a mile and gives him 10 chances, that means he needed to be in there. He wasn't one of those because if he is, he sure as heck is not going to be serving time at all. That's the reality of today's system, and that's really the reality of even the tough-on-crime era. So, when they downgraded the drug and gun crimes, and theft crimes, so number one, you get more drugs and theft. And that's not a picnic either. Like, there's one thing on an individual level, say, yeah, this guy is shoplifting, but I don't really think he's a threat. And, and, and if, if the judge sees that, he's not going to serve time. That's the reality. But when you categorically telegraph the message that drug, drugs are fine and theft is fine, you're going to get drugs, theft, homelessness, and the whole circuitous cycle thereof. So what you have now in Oklahoma City and Tulsa is what you have in San Francisco. That's number one. Number two is when you let out those type of people, guess what? The pool of murderers will come from those people. Since bottoming out in 2014, homicide is now 34% higher in 2019. It's even higher in 2020. And one year in between that in 2017, the year after they passed this, Tulsa experienced its highest murder rate ever. Oklahoma City murder rate is 48% higher than it was in 2014. Yet Kevin Stitt let out more criminals under covid Tons of them. I mean, this guy is obsessed with jailbreak. This is the governor of a state that has not given their vote in a single county to a Democrat for president since 2000. Where's the effort in the legislature? And I'm going to be pushing them, people I know there, because there's a lot of libertarians there that are very, they're good on COVID, but they're like, oh, we need a, a criminal justice reform. No, 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 no. You're, you're going to reverse this. One more thing before we get to our guest. Let me give you one more case. So, basically, as I noted, even during the peak of incarceration in the 1990s and early 2000s, we were never, for the most part, giving people enough punishment and deterrent that they really deserved. 
Anyone who studies the street knows this. You talk to any sane person. Are we lo- too lenient or too rough on criminals? Once in a while, you you could always, in any system, you could find a case where, yeah, maybe that guy got a little bit too much. But for every one of those, there's hundreds the other way. Let me introduce you to Oscar Grissett. Okay? He was just bonded out from jail again by a liberal advocacy group, despite a history of murder, robbery, and committing crimes while on parole. This is from our friends in CWB Chicago. Now, as I'm reading this to you, I want you to prep yourself for our next guest about the Capitol Hill protesters and people being held without a criminal record for public trespassing, held without the opportunity to give bail, meaning there's being released without bail, meaning you're released without having to post bail or low bail. And then there's being held without the opportunity to post bail. 1992. And and again, I'm just telling you folks, I'm reading this because this is not an aberration. This is what goes on in every major city. It's, It's an exception to the rule if this doesn't go on. This is generally what does happen. So if I said to you, Daniel, how hard is it to be held on high or no bail in this country? Well, it's this hard. In 1992, Grissett was paroled from a two-year sentence for aggravated battery causing great bodily harm. That's a term of art. It's 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 a legal designation, great bodily harm. And he was paroled. Just four weeks after being paroled, he was charged with murder after driving a stolen car and killing a pedestrian while fleeing from police. It was manslaughter. He received a 25-year sentence, which, you know, certainly, you know, great bodily harm. And he could be at stuff even before 1992. Um, But that's what I know. Four weeks later doing that, you'd think, oh, my gosh. So you gave him his chance. You gave him second chances. And four weeks later, you're going to lock him up. It wasn't first-degree murder, but still, 25-year, that makes sense. But despite 100 disciplinary actions while in prison, he didn't serve 25 years. I don't know how much he did serve, but it it, it couldn't have been more than 15 based on the timeline. might have been a lot less than that. He was let out. And again, it's important to remember this was in the last decade when we were supposedly – that was like you know picture 2005, 2008. That was the peak incarceration levels in America. Okay? So even a guy like that, they, they were never serving anywhere near the time of their sentence. 2010, he was convicted of theft and robbery because guess what? Those who are convicted on theft and robbery and they're let out, they tend to do what? More theft and robbery. So he was sentenced to two 15-year terms and then a nine-and-a-half-year term separately for something else. But of course, he wound up being paroled in 2018. Shortly thereafter, he was convicted for, you guessed it, another robbery of a store, and he was sentenced to just four years. So now we're already at the point where we're in the era of jailbreak, so even just the sentence from the get-go is going to be short. I mean, a guy like that should have been put away for life after that type of situation. Four years. Now, do you think he served four years? Nope. He was released after less than two years in March 2020. He was paroled. While on parole, prosecutors charged him again because he was arrested with two counts of felony possession of, you guessed it, a stolen motor vehicle and felony burglary in September of last year, 2020. Now, with a rap sheet like that, you say, okay, <laughs> the guy's unrepentant. This is a guy that had three decades. See, sometimes, like, the guy's young. You know, all the excuse guys, young. So he's already, I don't know, he's in his upper 50s. I mean, this is a 30-year career of criminal of criminality. Right? He'd be held without bail. Nope. He, this guy was offered 25000 bail. And it was paid for by the Bail Project, a left-wing organization that is against any pretrial holding, except for Trump supporters, of course. So what did he do when he was let out in September of last of this past year? Well, you guessed it. On December 8th, 
They arrested him for stealing a car and holding up a store clerk at a pet store and stealing money from the cash register and driving away with the stolen car. Yet despite all this, last Friday, Judge Susanna Ortiz, may her name rot in hell, set his bail at 100000 for the pet store robbery case. But ultimately, he wound up getting out and he was ordered on electronic monitoring. And the reason he was let out is because a judge recently reduced Grissett's bond in his first three pending felony cases from no bail. Because for one offense, it was no bail. He was finally, you know, they finally had enough. It was reduced to 50000 with electronic monitoring. And by the way, coinciding with this story, on Monday, Governor Pritzker signed a bill abolishing cash bail. In that vein, I'm going to bring on our next guest. Now, folks, as you well know, there aren't too many people in the so-called conservative movement that I respect. I mean, most of what they put out, whether it's written word or it's audio and video, it's it's full of empty calories. It really is. Uh, we're, we're dancing around ourselves. We're not focusing on the main issues and what we should do about it, and hence the failure for 30 years. But every once in a while, you will find someone that is on target and, and and like my writings that I think you appreciate where I try to have each one pack a punch, um, hone in on a specific point, teach you something new. That's what I find from Julie Kelly. She's a senior editor to American Greatness. She's also the author of a really important book, Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President. And she wrote an important column, actually several of them, on what really happened on January 6th. Indeed, it wasn't an armed insurrection. And what's really happening um, post-riot, so to speak. And after examining over 200 indictments, there is a very disturbing pattern that we've been alluding to that is emerging But I did want you guys to hear the first half of the show before Julie because I want you to appreciate, as you hear Julie's presentation, this is not Singapore where, you know, they just have no tolerance for any, you know, chewing gum and spitting on the street or littering, you know, and they'll come down with the full force of the law equally. No, we live in a country where there's almost no criminal punishment anymore at all. And when you're talking about bail, it's literally impossible to do something that will elicit a high bail, much less no bail offered. Yet, when it comes to Trump supporters, for nebulous crimes, guess what? No bail. Where is that coming from, and where is that headed? With us today is none other than Julie Kelly. Hey, Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. Daniel, thank you. Thank you for that kind intro right back at you. We are in various trenches together, and uh, I'm happy uh, happy to be on your side. So thank you. Absolutely, and you are in the trench with the COVID fascism, and we'll, we'll probably have to uh, circle back with another show on that. But I did want to get to your... And, and, and folks, you could see her columns at American Greatness just go down the chronology of it, and she covers an array of issues. But as far as January 6th, so let's just set the table here. Um, like everyone else, when I first heard about it, given that I'm a law and order guy and I've talked about crime all years, you know, all my, my whole, all my years in, in this business, I said to myself, yeah, I mean, I have no desire to protect individuals, just don't blame everyone else and try to create a political narrative, just punish the people that did something wrong. And we're all, we're all for that. And, you know, this was sold as the most violent thing in the history of the world. Cause of course we've never seen any violence the past year. And, um, I was waiting to hear like really juicy stuff. Like this guy grabbed a cop and choked him out. This guy gouged out the eyes of someone, this guy, you know, just, just, uh, beat a congressman to death. I, I wanted, I was expecting to hear really gory stuff. And then I started seeing, like, this guy's being held without bail. He's a terrorist. And then I would look and read the article, and I'd say, well, okay, what did he do? 
Uh, he carried a Confederate flag or, you know, this is the guy that made a face like this. And he, you know, because each one had a notorious picture of him. And I was like, okay, but what's the charge? Like, what, what did he do? And then I would see either disorderly conduct or trespassing. And these were the worst ones. Could you give us the broad and specific picture and take as much time as you need? Sure. So what's really alarming, and, you know, I'm sitting here in Illinois, I'm in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, and I'm watching the governor and state legislature, state legislators get rid of bail here, while at the same time researching how federal prosecutors and judges are, are insisting, are denying bail for people involved in what happened on January 6th. Um, transferring these people from their home states into Washington, D.C., because that's where all of these cases are being litigated, which is terrible news for any Trump supporter, as we've seen, what the Beltway judicial system does to anyone aligned with Trump over the past four or five years. And a denying bail to people charged with misdemeanors, as you just said, Daniel, and for the, for the mere fact that these folks dare to doubt the outcome of the 2020 election for the mere fact that they view Joe Biden as an illegitimate president, which of course was fine for the past four years when it was related to Donald Trump. You actually have prosecutors and judges saying that they're a flight risk and they're a risk to society because if they don't believe that Joe Biden is the real legitimate president, legitimately elected, they won't abide by any laws in the country. The, this is, I've actually seen this in both charging documents from federal prosecutors out of the U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office in D.C., and also federal judges in Washington, D.C., including Beryl Howell, who is the uh, chief judge of the district court there. It's outrageous and outlandish, especially in D.C., when you saw over the summer hundreds, if not thousands, of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters who threatened the White House who threatened lawmakers, as you recall, Rand Paul and his wife and other congressmen who were leaving an event last fall, uh, bullied and intimidated and threatened by these quote-unquote protesters, using the same type of weapons, if not worse, that a handful of Trump, Trump people or people who were in attendance at the uh, chaos on January 6th, now suddenly, you know, a riot shield or a can of pepper spray is a deadly and dangerous weapon, according to prosecutors. Wasn't the case last year anywhere. So it's yet another example, Daniel, of an egregious uh, two, system, two systems of justice. But it's really awful what they are doing to some of these folks. We can get into some detailed cases, what sure. they're doing to these folks. They're ruining their lives and bankrupting them. And again, we have no desire to protect criminals, but the idea yep. is that it's got to be commensurate. It's funny, like, I mean, this is this is the um, rebuke I've received my whole career. You know, it's got to be proportionate and low-level offenses. We hear all this stuff, and, you know, even even people like myself that are tough, but if, if someone's an Antifa guy or BLM and they throw a rock, let's say, into a store window. Now, you and I know nothing's going to – that guy's not even going to be arrested – um, we we believe that he should be arrested. He should serve time in prison. But you know, for that, you know, he's not going to. We're, we're, even we're not going to say he would be held without any bail. Um, what right. we're talking about, you're, you, just to be clear, you're not talking about people who even broke windows. No, we're talking hmm. about, for example, what happened to the Cowboys for Trump, the leader Coy of Griffin, Cowboys for yeah. Trump. Yeah, Coy Griffin. So people might remember, you know, he would do the funny rallies and everybody would be on horseback. Uh, Daniel, he was not even inside the Capitol that day. What? He was outside with some of his supporters. He never entered the building. He was charged with one misdemeanor of this was a, this is a common charge throughout all the 200 plus charges so far, 200 uh, defendants. Um, trespassing on restricted ground. That's what he was charged with, one misdemeanor. For that, he was held in jail for weeks um, by federal prosecutors, even though a local judge wanted to, you know, let him free. They, um, the federal prosecutors at DOJ, insisted that he remain behind bars throughout trial, 
luckily, in one uh, compassionate move, Judge uh, Howell in D.C. Uh, finally let him go. But we're talking about one misdemeanor. He 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 didn't wait, do anything wrong. He wait, but I don't even understand how it's a misdemeanor. Te- just just technically, well, because it was past the barrier. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah cause I'm, I mean, and it's the capital steps. And mind you, you know, it, it's very murky because it's, generally speaking, you do have a right to be at the Capitol. Whereas with um, private property, that's black and white. That's a red line. I mean, if you're ransacking someone's store, if you're in someone's store, like the rioters were, and nothing would happen to them. And, and again, right. I, um, Julie, I was only able to my knowledge of all the murder and beatings and mayhem. I mean, you want to talk about mayhem. 1,600 buildings destroyed just in Minneapolis alone last year. And it's still going on to a certain extent in, in a lot of places. I could only find one case of a BLM dude held without bail, and that was the guy charged with the murder of David Dorn, Officer Dorn, in St. Louis. And by the way, he himself is a product of jailbreak and bail break you know, typical career. He should have been in jail. He was on parole by a mile mm-hmm. after breaking it by a mile. That 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 death was completely avoidable, that, that murder. But his accomplice in the store there, the other guys, they were let out on low bail, by the way. Um, and that was the case everywhere. And so this is the backdrop that we're seeing. So I think what's important, I think that you're shedding light about, it's not that we think, oh, these guys agree with us, so we should go lenient or overlook crimes. It's yeah. that... Given that these guys are so sadistic about crime in general, it's not coming from a point of justice and law and order. It's coming from persecution so that even if you don't do a crime, because there's one thing like, you know, you say you did a crime. Okay, that's fine. Punish it commensurate with what we do. But what you can't do is, and what we wouldn't advocate to an Antifa guy, let's say an Antifa guy, that does something that's, you know, it's theft, vandalism, let's say, and that's more than what these guys did. Um, right. We're not going to say look into their political statements and therefore, whereas typically you're not really going to hold the guy on much in our system on that, hold him without bail. We're not, we, we've never advocated that. Even I haven't, adv- and mind you, those people are much more wild they're much more likely to do it again. These are first-timers. It was a one-time event. It was a unique thing. History has shown it hasn't repeated itself. And so what that tells me, Julie, is this is not about the capital. It's about you and me. What's to stop them from saying, Julie and Daniel are saying that we need to you know, fight the government they're saying, so therefore they're calling for an insurrection. They are killing people because they're lying about COVID. And that's in DHS's bulletin, their threat assessment. Isn't that where this is headed? Right. That's exactly where we are, Daniel. And I'm sure you watched part of Merrick Garland's uh, confirmation yes. here. I, want, I wanted you to get to that. For him to sit there and compare what happened January 6th to the Oklahoma City bombing right there should be disqualifying for anyone who wants to head the world's most powerful law enforcement agency. What a gut punch to the victims and to their family members. Just an outlandish, untrue, completely inaccurate statement to make. But he has signaled repeatedly that this investigation into the Capitol breach, that's the technical name of it at DOJ, will be his first priority that his first act as attorney general will be to get a briefing with the FBI and the acting U.S. attorney in D.C., Mm -hmm. Michael Sherwin, who is overseeing this prosecution. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that Michael Sherwin said on January 12th, he is going to take these misdemeanor cases, build them into felony cases, including sedition charges against American citizens, which... Mm -hmm. I've tried to look. I can't even find the last time any American was charged with sedition. Wow. This wow. is what he's promising. Wow is right. And he, I mean, Daniel, he's not even hiding it. He said it. he boasted about it in a press conference. Like he was proud of himself that he was going to take some guy who, you know, rides on, uh, you know, horseback in support of Donald N- Trump. Never had a criminal history. Charge. No criminal history. No, no criminal history. 
And because we've been talking about criminal history before I brought you on, no criminal history. And and again, I'm not nope. trying to say that elected officials should, you know, be better off, but he is an Ottero County, New Mexico county commissioner. And I, I just mean the point I mean by that is that the notion that you know, he's a known quantity, the notion that somehow he's a flight risk is just ridiculous. It is. And actually, part of the charging documents against Coy Griffin is that he also um, protested a couple of people, actually, they have in charging documents, that they protested lockdowns. That's part of the charging wow. documents that federal prosecutors are putting together. Yes. In fact, remember the New Jersey gym owner who uh, was fighting the lockdowns? He was yes. pretty public about it. Uh, his name escapes me right now, but uh, he also has been charged. Now, he's sick. Apparently, he has leukemia. He is charged with trying to assault an officer. I'm not defending that, but it's also part of it's, yeah. this prosecution. It's not People, concern yeah. for officers. It's not concern for the police, as we see. And, and and I think I think this is our point. I was willing to go, look, I'll go five notches more punishment for them above Antifa. Like we're we're willing, like we like punishing criminals. I mean, we're that's what we're like. But when it got mm-hmm. to this point, I said we can no longer ignore it because it's not about Capitol Hill. It's about too many of our people I think are focused too much solely on big tech. Big tech yeah. technically is not a violation of the First Amendment. Now Obviously, when they collude with government and certainly it's antitrust and there's a lot of things that are wrong with it, we need to fight. But what but I think it's worse than that. Amazon or Google can't throw you in jail, at least. But what's happening, I think, that our people aren't are are missing is that they're using them as their forward advancing guard. The guy they're they're all one that they're actually going to the writings on the wall. They're they're an inch away from, and, and, they, and they're doing it anyway for those that they already have nebulous other charges, like you're saying, they throw it in. But there's nothing to stop them from you and me. I mean, you know, we're not the type that's going to get rowdy and beat people. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to do that. But we do have a pen and we do have a voice. And mm-hmm. if you're now putting out a DHS bulletin and then putting it in criminal charges that this guy opposes lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's to stop the FBI from knocking on your door tomorrow? It's not. I, I'm sure I think about it a lot. I'm sure you do, too. I mean, any of us who are in this space, who've written a, a, the truth about the COVID, uh, written the truth about lockdowns, and now tackling the DOJ's just egregious, overreaching, unprecedented investigation um, and building sedition cases out of misdemeanor charges, of course, <laughs> you know, you, if, you, if you're not a little bit wary about your vulnerability to this right now, uh, you're sort of ignorant. So, so Julie, I want to go back to the broader picture of January 6th. So, mm-hmm. again, I want to take everything face value. I want to take the government narrative face value. And, and, you know, we had a lot of videos and pictures. This was the most violent uprising we've ever seen in our history. So just the worst day in America, the ever. worst in American history. OK, that's number one. So we know this is the worst. Most We've never seen violence like this is very violent. Number no. one. And number two, we know that the FBI has harnessed more technology and resources than ever to track down mm-hmm. anyone that did anything wrong. So I put one and two together and I in my mind, I expect three. And what would three look like that we should have a number of people with like, OK, charged with aggravated battery resulting in great bodily harm, you know, things like that, or like real um, destruction and, uh, you know, stuff that really is, is um, you know, much higher level. Um, obviously, you and I, you know, we don't defend our own if they do something wrong. If a guy would bash a police officer's head, you know, with, with a fire extinguisher and King, you and I would actually under our system, the guy would get more punishment than under the left system, which the guy would probably get, you know, two years and, uh, and, uh, you know, the next jailbreak will get, get one year, but that doesn't seem to be happening. So my question is, it can't be because they're having trouble finding them. Where are, where are like the aggravated assaults? 
So first, let's talk about what you just said. The cop who was allegedly beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. (laughs) That's another story that I covered and was on for a few weeks. I mean, I'm not bragging. Other people were too. But that story is a lie. It's a flat out lie that the New York Times made up on January 8th, said that two uh, uh, anonymous law enforcement officials told the New York Times that Brian Sicknick was murdered by Trump loyalists. That was their term with a fire extinguisher. They now very quietly, the day before the Senate acquitted Donald Trump of uh, incitement charges, suddenly they updated their story, which was a retraction saying that, no, there's no evidence that he was beaten with a fire extinguisher. In fact, they're not even sure that his death, his untimely death, he was 42, which is tragic, had anything to do with the Capitol riots. Oh, and by the way, the law enforcement officials that they quoted, they were people close to the Capitol police, which could be Nancy Pelosi. So that whole narrative has fallen apart. Funny how we don't hear about Brian Sicknick anymore, right? (laughs) I mean, that's they exploited the poor man's staff for political purposes. Yeah, the National you know, Review finally cared about, uh, I, I found National Review writers that were finally using back the blue. They never, last year, they wouldn't touch even that. And it was it was right. cute. It was very cute that it was kosher to suddenly care about law enforcement. And it turned out he was not only a Trump supporter, but he didn't even likely die from the chaos, like just the blood pressure. Um, you know, like some civilians are suspected as dying like that, although we really don't even know so much about them either, which is a little bit funny because uh, I've heard rumors right. about that. I don't know if you have. Uh-huh. Um, yes. But but um, so that's the thing. So so but but what about so Officer Sicknick? Um, so again, it, this was so violent that you had to fabricate an act of violence that never happened. That's so, right. so where else? What are the? Where are these juicy guys that like beat people? Um, I'm all seeing like like they beat a guy with a flag or something. But then I see a guy charged for uh, like carrying a Confederate flag. I didn't know that was a statute, but you know what I'm saying. So, where are the violent crimes? So, Daniel, I reviewed, um, you know, I've gone through almost all of the 200 plus defendants, the indictments and charging documents uh, on those cases out of let's break up down the numbers. About 100,000 Trump supporters were in Washington, D.C. that day, about um, around 800, they think, were at the Capitol. They don't even know. They can't really connect people exactly from that speech the Capitol. We know that there were a lot of people at the Capitol building that morning and even the night before. So let's say roughly 800 who were in or around the Capitol during the insurrection. Um, You have 200, around 220 defendants now charged with various crimes, mostly misdemeanors, trespassing, disorderly conduct, as I said. Out of that, Daniel, so far we have now 15 people, one five charged with any kind of weapons violation. About half of those people are charged with using the weapon in some sort of capacity, either to damage property or assault a police officer. I think there are about three or four charges related to assaulting a police officer. I'm with you. Throw the book at those people, right? I mean, if you threw an object at a police officer, if you smashed him with a helmet, if you even pushed him with a riot shield, which is one of the charges, not he didn't hit Officer Hodges, the guy, remember, who was kind of squeezed in the doorway. Um, The guy behind him used a riot shield to kind of squeeze him, I guess. That's a deadly dangerous weapon now. So those are the charges now that we are looking at related to any weaponry. Right. What about the the window smashers? What about the window smashers? Um, well, apparently the window smasher who used the bat uh, to smash the window, I guess he's a white supremacist. He, he's not white. I'll just say that <clears throat> because all of these people, as we've been told, Daniel, are white supremacists. Well, no, because, Julie, this is where, where, where I'm headed with that is because right. none of us deny that there was, you know, glass smashed. I mean, again, that, that yeah. that's not the most violent thing in the history of the world, but that definitely did happen. So is it that the ones who did that were not associated with the right, so they couldn't be charged? Well, he was charged. The man who you saw, um, Emmanuel Jackson, he had the bat, and he he's an African-American. Uh, he smashed the window, so he, he was charged with that. He was one of 
the few who were charged with actually using any kind of weapon. The rest, you might remember the man who was sitting behind Nancy Pelosi's desk. Remember him? Yep. He faces several grand jury indictments. I believe he's still being held without bail. Also, he was charged with possessing a deadly weapon, which was a walking stick that's also a stun gun. You can buy several versions of it on Amazon. He never used the weapon, but they charged him with possessing it on, you know, government grounds, et cetera. So they just keep stacking these charges against. In in uh, other words, if you had this standard for BLM, there would likely be oh. 2 million people in jail. 2 million That's people, right. I think. Um, right. You know, I mean, anyone there. And, and again, even Ron DeSantis's bill, nobody is saying to just rope anyone in who was just in the street that while they were doing it, even though the whole thing is prima facie a riot, rather than this was they were singing, they were, you know, no, none of them knew this would materialize like that. It was a one-time thing. Whereas in my mind, you're much more culpable after months of these riots to be on the ground while they're doing it. Like, what are you doing there? But nonetheless, you know, law is law and you got to have a technical charge. You can't just say, you know, you shouldn't be there with the people that are doing criminal stuff. I'm not saying to grab them. Um, none of us are, but it's it's just astounding the asymmetry. Um, this is, I don't know. Here's my concern here. I'm finding even people, business owners fighting COVID fascism have trouble getting legal help. Are you seeing that as a problem here as well? Oh, it definitely is. I mean, I think several of these defendants have public defenders. Um, There aren't a lot of lawyers who are willing to take up these cases for obvious reasons. And, you know, Daniel, these are... These are not well-off people. I mean, some of them have serious, I think, mental health issues, too. Um, Several of them are veterans. I think they've been damaged by their deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. Well, who who do you blame for that? I mean, there are uh, alarmingly several veterans who were involved. Um, And so that's going to be a future piece as well. Um, But it's, you know, this is going to continue. It's going to be expanded as Merrick Garland said, uh, Senator Whitehouse actually suggested to Merrick Garland a few days ago that this could reach Donald Trump for being responsible for, uh, you know, these sedition cases. And Merrick Garland did not back off. He said, we're going to go where the facts lead us. If it goes to the top of whoever organized Mm -hmm. or incited this in any way, then we will use the full force of the law. So what's your over under on, Garland getting 80 votes in the Senate. Um, I think it's very likely. And I think everyone, <laughs> you know, you know this, Daniel, because you are probably see, I know you see me on Twitter. I was all for Mitch McConnell losing the Senate. He deserved to lose power. He is a fraud. He is now actively working for the other side. Every Republican senator who votes for Mayor Garland is voting for open borders, lawlessness at our southern border, and an expansion of another political persecution, not just into Trump's campaign managers or Carter Page, but into regular Trump supporters uh, who have no power or influence, putting them in jail, throwing the book at them, and keeping them there for decades. That's what they're going to vote for. Where is it coming from, and where is it headed? That's the important question conservatives need to ask, because... You know, Floyd, January 6th, and COVID, they all have the same common theme, that the left comes at you with something very either scary or ewy, like like a way that you don't want to touch it, like you don't want to look like you're uh, four people dying of COVID or four um, supposedly cops choking out someone or storming the Capitol. No, I'm not for that. But then we fall into their trap where is it coming from and where is it headed? And right. this is not about people doing bad things at the Capitol, because if it were, you would have two million people in jail now for the other stuff. It is about a persecution that they are criminalizing our views. And frankly, Julie, you know, I thought of an idea and I know you got to go in a minute. If you're telling me government could criminalize your state of being in locomotion, a.k.a. your breathing, right? I hate when we call it a mask mandate because it kind of sanitizes it. What that means is you have to wear a mask, meaning if you don't, that's criminal. So it's criminal to breathe. 
So then they could mm-hmm. criminalize your state of being in terms of your political views. I mean, it's not a jump at all. No, it, it's actually it's actually happening. I mean, the thought crime in one of these filings, uh, the guy told the FBI, I, I was there because I don't I think that Joe Biden stole the election. They have that in the filings. But this is these are thought crimes. They're this is actually happening. And you know that also this is happening with with mask mandates and maybe not criminalizing it, but certainly shaming people and um, coercing people into doing something that's totally unnatural and doesn't even work. But, you know, Daniel, I think the reason I was skeptical from day one about the lockdowns and COVID was following the Russian collusion hoax for years and seeing the extremes that not only the media and Democrats would go to, but the Department of Justice and that they would weaponize any agency, anything against Donald Trump. And it was just obvious to me. And I know a very small handful of others, including you from the get go, what was going down with coronavirus and uh, the shutdowns and it's hard to believe we're here almost a year, well, a year later, uh, and things in many respects are getting worse instead of better. Well, the good news, Julie, is that a year later, the conservative thought leaders who have more followers than you and I do seem to have realized that, yeah, it's kind of eh, kind of naughty. <laughs> but, but, but wait for the next Russian collusion that will come with mm-hmm. a different flair, because each one has a different taste to it, and it'll be just like the Capitol Hill and Floyd and and rinse and repeat, but thanks for being ahead of the curve. We don't flatten curves. We're ahead of the curve here. Um, you could follow her at, at Julie underscore Kelly two on Twitter. Julie, thanks so much for joining us and please come back again. And that my friends was Julie Kelly of American greatness. <clears throat> Lots of good people there. I really respect a lot of the people there. It's one of the few um, outlets I think that really gets it. So, you know, natural allies with us. Um, I just wanted to close with one thought, and I wanted to give you a little bit of a longer show today just uh, to compensate for tomorrow. There's something very profound going on here. A lot of you might hear this argument, this excuse that, well, you know, how do you protect from violence if you have so much speech that's fomenting violence? Well, you have to go after the speech. And you're, you're seeing a lot of these articles, and New York Times had an op-ed on this, that, that the First Amendment's a very vexing problem because, you know, we, we want to stop violence, but if you allow free speech, then you're going to have all this violence. Now, again, obviously it's contrived. They don't care about violence. Um, they're making it up because 99.9% of the time our people aren't violent. Their people are the ones with all the violence. It's, it's nonsense. But I'm just going to address the argument face value. It's only a problem according to their gutter ideology where there's no deterrent. See, according to our ideology, there's a red line. It's very clear. If you go and you beat someone and certainly murder them and break things, and we're going gonna to throw you behind bars for a long time. So if you have people also in the audience like yelling or people advocating things in the background online, we don't have a need to violate the First Amendment. Oh, because that might lead to violence because if you do cross that line, we're going to deter you. Whereas under their system that nobody ever gets punished for anything. So then they're like, well, how do we stop it? We have to go to the source, the speech. So that's just a a thought to consider. And as I said before, a lot of the people who stormed the Capitol, the ones that kind of did do stuff wrong, how do you think you could do that and get away with it? Like, don't you think your life is going to get ruined? But the answer is very simple. They watched for a full year how they would do the worst things possible to government buildings and nothing would happen to them. So that's that point there. But I do have to go... um, There is a lot going on in the states. Utah, the health department in the state of Utah said they're continuing the mask mandate indefinitely, basically. They have impossible metrics. We have a fourth branch of government. Are we going to sit back and take that? The Utah legislature leaves session in in just one week. Are they going to do anything about that? we got to get on their their case. There's a Texas bill to get rid of masks. I put that out today on the Minutemen website. Um... Also, I I spoke a lot this week about how 
the political class is blocking the truth and sometimes physically through the force of law, blocking the use of treatments that work. There's two new studies out on ivermectin um, in the European media, of course, that it is just a wonder drug, 75% a reduction in fatality, and it's showing promise even at a late stage. Of course, it's always better to use it earlier. So again, these people, the same people that care so much about insurrection, except they don't. They care so much about um, the bo- the spreading COVID, except with the borders, they don't. They care so much about people not dying from COVID, except they don't, when it comes to what actually helps. This is the sadistic government we're dealing with. This is why it's completely illegitimate. We have the moral right to overthrow the government. We don't have the physical ability to do that. But the best we can do is at least organize and fight in the state legislatures, fight in the county governments, get active, get on the playing field, sign up at conaction.network. We're going to start over the next few weeks organizing the first few statewide teams. Some are going to have to divide, be divided into a few teams or sub-teams because they're too big, obviously, which is a good problem to have, especially for some of the bigger states. But Again, help me out. Inform me on what's going on in your state that I need to know about. You could email me at dharwitz at blazemia.com. As always, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to see our podcast on iTunes. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Till next week, I'm so proud to have the best audience around. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. 